We all know the great story of right? There's something about stories that is capture our imagination and capture our hearts. We love exploring how the main character of the story is going to develop through their challenges and how they face the fears their doubts and enemies their obstacles and, and just what's going to happen as they, as they overcome. And, and reading these stories gives us this inspiration to right? face the challenges and the problems that we face. You know, we identify with them. You know, it gives us this idea that maybe we can we can overcome, you know, and when we can't see past the, the problem that's in front of us, but there's another page in the chapter. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in our lives and in our stories that we read and the stories that we live, and you don't get much thought that every story has an author, right? Can, you know, can you imagine if you're a character in a story and you're facing this, this struggle, this, this trial, this Obstacles you have to overcome, and testing you and pushing you to your limits. Wouldn't it be just great if you could look to the author, the guy that's holding the pen, or the guy that's holding the pen, and say, you know, what's going to happen next? Really, because that author holds anything in the middle, right? They know the limitations and the capabilities of every character. They know what's going to happen on the next page. They know, they know how to hold stories in the middle. You know, a lot is that way. We're living the story, and there's an author that is holding the pen of our story. There's a God who knows the next chapter, who knows our capabilities and our limitations, who knows how the story is going to end. And if only we could look to that author and get that outside perspective of the momentary pen. That outside perspective is called wisdom. We all crave it, we all look for it in our stories, we all need it, we want it. We, we, we just want to know what's next and what we, you know, how this is all going to turn Wisdom is that insight that kind of transcends our existence for a moment. It gives us this knowledge and experience that is beyond our current knowledge and experience. It helps us process our existence and helps us know what I'm expecting. So the truth is, we all need that wisdom. We all need wisdom from outside of ourselves. And today I want you to know that Jesus wants to give you this wisdom. He makes himself available to us. He's the author of the whole of our life. And I'm going to give you four reasons why we need Jesus' wisdom. Four reasons why we need God's wisdom. The first reason is this, is that things don't go as planned. The first reason that we need God's wisdom is that things don't go as planned. You ever that, right? You know, you ever had that experience? You, you have these plans and all of a sudden they blow up in your life, right? You plan for this to happen and then that happens. And it completely touches you off guard. It's not what you intended. It's not what you wanted. And so when that happens, when things don't go straight, do you see that as a good experience or a traumatic, painful loss, right? For most of us, when our friends change, we don't see it as a good thing. We see it as a bad thing. And maybe over time we can look back and say, hey, that actually turned out for a better, a better ending than what I thought. What's cool about the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7 is that we see Solomon wrestling with this idea of having plans in his life and things not going as planned. But he comes to a very different conclusion than you and I come to. So let's look at verses 1 through 5 for a second. It says, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, when you see that word good name, you're thinking, yeah, that's pretty good, right? Well, what he's talking about is an average person. A mediocre name. 
So this is Solomon, the leader of the nation of Israel, one of the wealthiest men on the planet at this time, and he's looking back over all the wealth and all of the things that he's acquired, all that he's done uh, personally and, and spiritually, and he's looking back saying that in so-so name, in his name, is better than having precious earth and having money to blow on extravagant things. They didn't turn out the way he planned. He planned for success and got something in his head. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. So this is the end of all mankind and the living. And the living will wait it to fight. Because I say sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of faith, the heart is made glad, and the heart is wise in the, the house of mourning, but the heart of fool is in the house of mourning, or hardly or extravagant living, reckless living. He says it's better for man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the sorrow of fools. Now, if you think about what he's talking about here, he's had all of these plans. You know, he's planning for this life of luxury, this long life, this party, the life of pleasure, and his plans blew up. I mean, he keeps coming up empty. He came up short. He went to funerals. He experienced hardships. He, he's even been confronted with his own death that one day he's going to die. And what does my life amount to? What am I going to leave behind? What did I really achieve? And he turns around and says something really crazy in these statements that he would not. Plan for in life, he turns around and says they're all good. He says it's good that your name becomes average. It's good that you go through mourning. It's good that you have times where you need you need to gain wisdom over your own advice. And he says those were all good experiences in his life. And the question is, how in the world can any of these experiences be seen as all good? How can we see important we see that our last day is better than our first? And verse 12 gives us some insight in that. Here's what it says. It says, For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. So wisdom has this incredible wealth, these places of money. And then he turns around and says, And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Think about that for a second. Knowing wisdom preserves life. Nobody's saying, listen, nobody plans for hardships, nobody looks for difficulties, nobody wants that part of their story, nobody would write pain in their own story, but the truth is every story will have pain, will have trouble, will have hardships, will face dark days. He says it's coming, and he says, wisdom is this. Outside perspective, where you look down on your experiences of life and you have a knowledge that is beyond your own knowledge, you have the knowledge that there is a wisdom that preserves you in those times. What he's trying to say is that all life has difficulty in knowing that God is not crushed by that difficulty, knowing that changes in plans are not the end. See, when we look at life and our existence, and we ignore God's perspective, we're going to be left with feelings of being overwhelmed. We're going to be left becoming cynical. We're going to be left being scared and, and hurt and broken. 
often when we realize that God's got to be the picture, there's an eternal view to things, that what happens here isn't the end, that we find that the kingdom of our plans don't accept God and his plan because God has a plan. It's understanding that changes in our plans can be good because God's plan and his plan is promised to the last plan. That is the wisdom of what God says about life, what God thinks about you, what God has planned for you, ultimately will happen, and there is no obstacle, there is no antagonist that can come against you. It's going to throw a flaw, God's intended development of your story, the good that He has planned for you. So, just like any story that you read, where we're rooting for the good guy, we're praying for him to overcome, we're praying for that, that, that blessing to come, God says, I'm going to finish your story, and your ending will be greater than your beginning. Think about that for a second. First, it is an incredible promise of a meaning in life. And what he's saying is, is that death is also that promise of an incredible life. It's not an ending, it's a beginning. It's a home in your story. To see life in your story, that's the wisdom. God's looking at it and saying, yes, I'm going to look at you. But my plans are going to do it. And what happens in this life can be made for good, and God can turn difficult things into good things, and God can use you for good, and God can bring about good, and God is ultimately going to good in store for all of us. And that's the wisdom that comes. So we realize that God is promised. But the author is not going right in the story. The second reason why we need God's wisdom is that life is good. Right? This truth, life is not good. If there's any certainty in life, it's going to be death, death is going to be captured, and people are not going to get what they deserve. That's the truth. Good people don't get what they deserve. Bad people don't get what's coming to them. We all rest with life not being fair. And it's just an existence, a fact of life, no matter how we look at it, no matter what we do, no matter what systems we create, somehow good never comes to those that are good and bad never comes to those that are perceived as bad. We see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. Here's what it says. In my daily life, in my stored people of pointless life, he says, replies his voice there, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in, in his evil doing. Neither God. And then and he gets from this people who he says, Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die and destroy your tongue? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that you with, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God is to come out from both of them. So think about what he's saying here. We get the extremes, right? He's turning and saying, don't be so good and so fearful of doing the wrong thing that you lock yourself up and get so caught up in the routines that you actually lose your joy and passion for life. There is such a thing as trying to be righteous in your own eyes, in your own effort, in your own good, and, and, and totally missing out on the pleasure that God wants to give you because you're so afraid of making your mistakes, so afraid of stepping out alone because God is ultimately going to strike you down. That God is just waiting for you to make that person squash you. 
There's that level of good that he's pushing back against. And then there's this whole level of foolishness where we just put apostles in the room, we just know the God's alive, we do whatever we want to do, we just kick God to the curb, kick our morals to the curb, kick our safety to the curb, kick our all sense of uh, wisdom and protection to the curb, and we just live a reckless life, right? And he's like, listen, you get two extremes, and he says, hearing God is going to deliver you from both of them. So when life gets there, we respond in one of two phases. We either buckle down and try to earn God's approval and make that security upon ourselves and say, you know, God, we can we can do this at home, but we really think we can just do the right thing and that's literally even the past is that we laugh. Or we decide to get you done. We're done. And we'll feel well. But what's interesting is that no matter what kind of choose, it doesn't change the fact that Christ did not think. Good people are going to die without receiving the good that they deserve. Bad people that should deserve more ultimately don't get my stuff here. And that's a, that's a powerful thought that you have to face this fear, the root fear. Fear, we just have this couple weeks ago, isn't being terrified of God. It's just being blown away from When we look at life not being fair, God, we could do all the right things and they still go by. God, I can throw all possible to the wind and live a reckless life. And, and, and ultimately it'll be my own, but, you know, I've just, I've wasted. And we, we can live in that experience and that time and those struggles. And so what I mean, all of God, that God is bigger than folly, and God is bigger than, you know, us not getting the good that we deserve, that God is ultimately there in both of those experiences and that we can deliver from them both. In other words, there's another path. In other words, in life not being fair, there's a wisdom that helps us process. That business. And that's what Solomon comes to. You see this in verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Just stop and pause and feel the world by the work of God. Who can make straight what has been crooked? I think it's been crooked. Do you see that God's making this crooked? Go to verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of diversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. You know what he's saying? The world is crooked. It's unfair. And what God has done is he's not created the world unfair. God's not up there punishing righteous people for no apparent reason. God's not up there withholding judgment on unrighteous people for no apparent reason. What he's saying is that people make choices. Life is unfair. There's an injustice in this world. But God has entered into that injustice and he uses that crookedness, life not being fair, to the advantage of every person that wants to face the world. What do I mean by that? God gives us love, grace, forgiveness, and pleasure that we don't really deserve. 
and condemnation and judgment for the wrongs that we do in this life, God doesn't bring that with him anymore. He doesn't even give us what he deserves. So suddenly, this crooked system of life that's being compared in the world's eyes, life is not the way it's going to go, but from God's perspective, is I'm going to use that broken system and I'm going to use it to bless you for things that you could never acquire for yourself. We need that perspective in life. We need to be reminded that, yeah, some of the good things that this life, you know, that I've worked for and tried for has been wrong for me to injustice. And it seems like people that deserve the condemnation and judgment should get that. But when I look at life from God's perspective, that God desires for all people to know Him, for God to restore good in all of humanity, that God wants to restore good in my life, and that God doesn't condemn me and judge me any more than He condemns and judges the wicked at this time. God wants to offer me grace, love, forgiveness. God wants to offer that to me as well as the person who is considered evil in my eyes. The truth is, is that the author is right the story, using the plot to develop the characters to draw people to himself. Here's a good story where sometimes I find this that woman is really inspired by the goodness of the character in the story. And for a minute they start to think about maybe I should be different. See, that's what we call being enlightened by See, God wants us to come to Him. And the good thing from the Bible is realizing that He has made both of them. He, has, he can establish you in both of those And when He does, it changes the spirit. See, God's not advocating for many things here. He's advocating for better limits. Third reason that we need God to be free. Life can be easy. Life is not easy. Here's a problem for reason. Guys, do you remember when you graduated from high school? And it, you know, for me that goes back a ways. I, I think I'm able to see the range now. Um, I remember graduating from high school thinking, dude, I'm taking I'm going to the world for you. And then you get into life and you realize that I'm going to have a life for Because I need a place to live. And I need to work because I need things to eat. And then I work because I need to cook. And then I have to do these things day in and day out. So this idea that I'm going to be my own person, that one of my decisions be my own thing. Right, you get to do that whole thing. Sometimes I remember when I got my first apartment, I didn't take the trash out. Why? Because I'm just telling you, like, you're just asking 50 times a day, take the trash out, take the trash out. <laughs> so I'm the trash out. And then they do it. <laughs> hey, that was no bad. <laughs> I mean, you're taking the trash out, right? There's always a boss of you. There's a blow to life, and it's not easy. It's not easy. There's always something that needs our attention. There's always something that needs to be fixed. There's always a problem to address. And, and sometimes there's no great or easy answer to the things that we face. And all of it leaves us coming out from wisdom. Life's not easy. How do we find meaning and purpose? How do we look at life differently? How will we overcome? And what our story have at the end, and have the end. We see this in verses 20 through 22. It says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, like you hear 
the servant person is. Your heart knows that many times you have cursed others. There's others. And he says, all this can I tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it is far from me. That which has been is far off and deep and very deep. And who can find it out? Listen, he uses this illustration of a being of people that say one thing to a place and they something completely different about you than they do. That emotional sense of God that just ruins your sense of self worth and a betrayal of friendship and trust. And you're realizing that you know, these relationships, the people who are supposed to be in that corner, are really going to be in that corner. Where do I even go? Or the life is not easy. I can't even trust the people in that And then you start to think, man, how many times have I done that with others? And you start to think about the pain and the weight that comes from breaking relationships that's not easy. And you think, is this really not easy to do the right thing? And I've looked for wisdom and all this. I've tried to find the right answer. It just seems far off, very deep, and I can't find it. See, because the truth is, it's not easy to love others. It's not easy to follow God. It's not easy to reconcile the differences in our life. It's not easy to overcome the problems that we face. Life is not easy. So we need a bigger answer. We need to dig deeper to find what we need to overcome. So, what we need to look at. Solomon in verse 19 says this. He says, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in the city. You know what he's saying? When I came to the author of the story, and I realized that God is holding the pain of my life, and I start to see life from his perspective, I find a strength when life is not easy. That is more than ten rulers in his team. Ten key leaders and takers. Ten guys that are responsible for building things and infrastructure and skyscrapers and systems that care for and provide good things for people to live. There's more strength in that, more than the only display of power that we can think of. Greater than all of that is God's wisdom, his perspective, his voice. See, life isn't easy. Life is always challenging. And God knows that. See, God's big picture allows us to have this strength. And helps us to realize that we are in control of the end of this thing. As much as we want to. We're not in control of the end of this thing. And whatever ending you can come up with, you never calculate for what's on the next page. What comes to you for the next challenge you face? And the next insecurity that you discover? The next conflict that comes your way and you need to answer it. But see, when we look at life from God's perspective and realize that God is in the world, that God can turn these things together, God can give us insight to see people differently, to see ourselves differently, to base our identity and our security on Him, then life becomes a little easier in practice. We realize that the people that hurt us obviously are dealing with a little bit of hurt. And we're going to receive the name of their questions and their struggles and their struggles. Right? If you can't learn to do that, in marriage, you are not living in marriage very long. You see, God lives in steps back and says, 
But we do. We listen to ourselves. We try to find a voice within ourselves. We try to find a voice that's like the one that we're looking for in our life. And we perpetuate our problems and we create constructs and systems where people still experience pain. Why? Because broken people can't give anyone else a minute. We can bring good at times, but that good will be broken because both of those exist in the world. Something that calls us outside of ourselves. Maybe the greatest reason that God offers us is that we need to be one so that we can be one. Maybe we need to lose ourselves to find ourselves. Maybe we need to let go a little more. See, that's, that's really the way that it's put. This is why when Jesus communicated in relationship with him, the way Jesus defined Christianity, he said, Father, he didn't say, here are the five things you need to do. He was here are the five things you need to do to have a happy life. He just said, Father. And when you follow me, you have to trust me with your most important relationship in your life. You have to trust me for living. You have to trust me for going to this person to get close to. I'm going to lead you through this. I'm going to help you navigate the child challenges. I'm going to help you navigate the sad things. I'm going to help you navigate life on the first day. I'm going to help you navigate life when it's not easy. I'm going to help you navigate life when you're not good. And the people around you are going to be going to lead you to the way to lead you to. First one I found is a See, this is what I found. God made man upright, but they thought out many schemes. See, no matter who walked on the earth, God made that person to upright. He did. To desire good, to do good, to be kind, to commit good. But the other truth of life is this that every last one of us has thought a shortcut, has tried to take the place of our own, has tried to write the bloodline of our own story. And when we do, we forget that there's a character that makes sense. But there's a change for me that you don't know about that makes it really wrong. Our view of the story as the character is always too small. And it's that smallness that drives us to sacrifice. But when we step outside and realize that there's a bigger world and a bigger wisdom than what we have, and there's more to learn and more to grow in. And we look to God and His story and the good that He's trying to promote. That He's ultimately the origin of all good, and our origin story is good, and that that will be the end of our story if we allow God to bring the good into our lives. This is the reason. This is what we. This is what we are promoting. It's the restoration of good in humanity. That's why Jesus died on the cross. 
That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he dwells within believers. That's why he asked us to live out our faith with the same faith. To help people see their origin story was found in him. All things good are found in him. All good things that we desire are redeemed and amplified in him. All things that rise to that good are even in kindness and life. That God alone wants us to overcome. And he wants to write our stories so that the end of our life is good. And then what the challenges are, what the circumstances are, are the things that we face. It can be The other translations of the Bible talk about they started many schemes or a downward path. God's asking for us to abandon our downward path and rising to save the pain of our story. If the other path leads us to an opposite direction, our path will lead us into the despair and the problems that we're facing. When God's writing the story, he's going to be clear up and out of all of us. So we let God hold the pain of our story. A bottom line is this. For the question, how will your story read if you allow Jesus to hold the pain? Say what you want about Circumstances, the questions, maybe things that they cared, or maybe you just don't want to stand for or come again for you. I'm tired of the bad guy all the way. The good guy all the way. I'm tired. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, it's just not easy. I'm tired of being a person. I can't be anymore. Maybe you're thinking, maybe the bad in my own life, I wish you could ever come. I'm just I can't escape it. I'm just done. How will your story end? What will it mean if you allow Jesus to hold the See, what the Hebrews say is that he said, Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. In this case, faith isn't just what you believe. It's the way we believe and live. Jesus wants to be the author of your faith story. He wants to be the finisher, the completer, and the perfecter of it. And what we have to believe is that what Jesus ultimately came to do to prove is that he has power to do it in the world. God is not a living a tragedy in our life. He is writing the story of victory and development and courage and promise and meaning in our life. Can you give me a call? Can you look to the rest of and you're going to hear voices outside of your head, and you're going to have to subject yourself to voices that are outside of your head. 
Nobody asked you to church yourself out. They're approaching every believer and coming along to them. So we believe that some of them can come to the church. Can you break them? Can you trust them? Can you doubt? Can you fear? Can you pain? Can you open Bibles? Can you open hearts? Can you help me see my heart before you? If you feel that that last time you're going to read the Bible from the lenses that you're looking to, do you need to read it? What does that look like to you today? Maybe you need to read the Bible with your child. Not do a Bible study, just read it and say, what is the truth about God that I need to know? Not how is he going to fix the problem in your life, not how is he going to fix the emotion. What is the truth to God of God in this passage? That's it. And what's the thing? Maybe you need to get together with another person that's outside of this house. You pick up a phone and say, hey, we need for coffee. Instead of saying, maybe what's the reason? We get together, and we just we talk, we pray, and we search the word together. You know, Google, you know, public policy, you know. I've laughed at all the tools there. Nobody has to be an expert. Everybody's dependent. What is We allow God to hold up the hand to speak His wisdom and understanding. So do you want to be a different person? Thank you.